How's everybody doing today? Am I on? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. You got me, Joel? Oh, I just can't hear myself. Okay, that's fine. That's, I don't need to. It's good. Uh, no, no, you're perfect. You're, you're doing it perfect. Hey, well, so good to have you guys today. Everybody have a good time at Summerfest? Yeah. I have a real bad sunburn right here. Yeah, that's right. You know, you don't, you don't think of that part of your legs. And if anyone knows, like, and my legs very rarely see the sun, so uh, it was pretty traumatic. Um, but let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this morning. I thank you for, yeah, just the community that we have, Lord, and this, this wonderful place that we live in, Lord. How awesome it is that we can be so close to the mountains and so close to the water and just so blessed in so many ways, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we enjoy this life and this place that we live in, Lord, that we just do it with thanksgiving to you. Lord, you teach us what that is, to live in that context, the context of understanding you are the one who's created and who gives, the giver of good things, Lord, and that we can enjoy our lives uh, thankful to you for them. Uh, so Lord, just fill us with that thanks, Lord. Be, let us be people who, who are always coming back to you, Lord, with, with thanksgiving and praise. Lord, you're so good. Uh, we want to just live in the true story, Lord, the story that you're the one who gives and blesses. Uh, and be you, uh, watch over us this morning, Lord. I, I just pray for your, your spirit, Holy Spirit. We welcome you into this place, Lord. Would you speak to us the truth, Lord? Would you build up our hearts? I pray that in Jesus' name. Um, well, we are continuing on in the book of Acts. We've been making our way through and we've been following Paul and now Timothy, his new companion, uh, as they uh, are on their way um, in the early stages of, of what we kind of historically in the Bible call Paul's second missionary journey. He goes on three recorded in the book of Acts. This is the beginning of his second. And, and most of our passage today is going to be taking place in the city of Philippi in what is today northeastern Greece, right? Back then it wasn't northeastern Greece, it was the region of Macedonia. Um, but it's pretty surprising that Paul ends up in Philippi because when he sets out on this missionary journey, his plan is not to go to, uh, to Europe where he ends up, but his plan was to continue on going through Asia Minor, through modern-day Turkey, and visiting the churches that he had established along with Barnabas on his first missionary journey. So he sets out on his second missionary journey to just go back to where he was in his first, but he ends up somewhere else. God has another plan, another path for him to follow. Uh, Paul is sent on a detour, and he comes for the first time bringing the gospel into Europe. Um, I think, it's, I think it's a question worth asking, and I think it's kind of where I want to focus on this morning. What kind of person was Paul? Because if you read the Bible, you, you get impressions of, of characteristics. Um, and I think many people think of Paul, because you read his writings, as, as being really kind of a hard-driving, maybe even a harsh person, right? Because sometimes he takes a tone that's very definitive in his writing, and it makes us think, like, that's kind of how he is. But, but for someone who was clearly very focused, right, and very committed to the mission, he also shows remarkable flexibility. We see that right here in this passage. Uh, what's up with that? Because most of the hard-driving people I know are not very flexible. No offense if you're in here. You're great. You're great. Um, those two things normally don't go together. Someone is not, who, is, who is very hard driving, very focused, is not normally very, uh, you know, changing their plans like a European backpacker, right? But that's what, what Paul's doing. Um, well, Paul actually, I think, goes to some lengths 
in his letters to give us some insight about what motivates him, what makes him tick, and what, what makes him the kind of strange, different sort of person that he is. Not strange, that's not nice. Um, and we actually have a really good glimpse of that in a letter that he wrote to the Philippian church later, after he had already visited, right? But he says this in, in, in Philippians 3, 10 through 16. He kind of explains his motivation in life. He says this, My goal is to know him, that is Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal, or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have uh, taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching for what's ahead, I pursue my goal, the prized promise by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal it also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Paul's goal told to us in Philippians, in this letter written to the church that he's ministering to here in the book of Acts, Paul's goal is to know Jesus and to know the power of his resurrection and to know the fellowship of Jesus's sufferings. And it doesn't, I think, take a very perceptive reader to see that what Paul is talking about is more than knowledge as we normally think of knowledge, right? See, see, Paul knew all the facts about Jesus. He had them all up in his head. He, he studied more diligently than anyone else in the Bible up to this point. He spent years poring over the scriptures, seeking out the truth about, is this Jesus really who he says he is? He had all the knowledge in the world, but Paul, was a, he was a man dedicated to knowing and proclaiming Jesus. But he says that his goal, something that he says he has still not attained, is to know Jesus had all the facts, all the knowledge, but his goal, not yet attained, was to know Jesus. This is a different kind of knowing, right? A different kind of knowing than what we normally think of as knowledge. It's knowing by experience. It's knowing by reality. It's knowing by living my life according to the truth revealed and what I see as Jesus proclaiming himself to be and seeing that actually, yeah, it's true. The life I'm invited to live by Jesus is, is a true life, a life where when I actually vest in that type of life, I actually find that it, it yields the fruit that Jesus promises that it would yield. It's a very different kind of knowledge, a knowledge that comes from experiencing the fact that Jesus delivers on his many promises to people. Not just head knowledge. Um, Paul Gould says this, I, I think it's really, really good. Uh, we must learn to embrace the call of Christ to self-denial and learn what it means to live a life of spiritual apprenticeship. As Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Crucially, we must not neglect the bodily basis for our spiritual formation in Christ. And I love this part, as Dallas Willard observes. Quote, inside the quote, uh, whatever is purely mental cannot transform the self. We, uh, we must allow our beliefs and the gospel story to seep into our bones. 
More than reading and intellectual understanding, it is done through enacting the gospel, through the daily bodily habits or liturgies that form and inform us. I think that this is what Paul is saying in Philippians, that this is what he intends to do, to know the fellowship of suffering with Jesus Christ, to know the fellowship with this God who died and yet rose again, and, and to live according to this calling. The, I like what Paul's, Paul Gould's language, enacting the gospel, living out the truth of the gospel, living in such a way where my actions align with my beliefs about what Jesus said, who he is, and what life is like with him. To the point where when I'm suffering and things are difficult and I'm in pain, I can actually go through that and look to Jesus and actually find that over time, not, not, not like easily like flipping a switch, but over time as I live through the difficult things of life, the thing that our culture thinks of as death and awful and to be avoided, if I step into those things with faith, I actually have joy and peace. I'm actually led to a good place beside the still waters that Jesus promises people to. To enact the gospel is to understand, yeah, Jesus has overcome death. Because, you know, the fact is that life is full of death. Life is full of hard things. And, of course, knowing that doesn't make those things any easier. But, but what hope can we have in life if we can't just keep looking and going through the difficulties and being serious about them and understanding, no, my God, like, he will carry me through to the other side. That's enacting the gospel. Elton Trueblood, a Quaker, says this, and I, I've shared this quote before. I really like it. Faith is not belief in spite of evidence, but life in scorn of consequences. I, I think about that. A little short one. I love that. Generally, people, myself included, avoid things at all costs, things like pain and difficulty and risk and embarrassment or whatever, like being uncomfortable. We avoid those things because we fear the consequences of them. But Paul said, I so want to know Jesus. I so want to experience him that I will willingly walk into suffering. I will willingly go through pain. I will willingly experience loss and even poverty and obscurity and opposition and leaving my place of comfort. I will do all those things, all the things that we naturally associate with death, and I will live as if the gospel of Jesus is true, that he's a resurrecting God. I will scorn the consequences because I believe that the risk actually will lead me to a place of great reward that is knowing Jesus because I come to know him as he truly is, the Lord, the one who watches over. doesn't mean that he doesn't keep me from any difficulty, but it means that he's faithful through it. See, faith is about real life. It has to be about real life. How many of you have spent time, and I can say years and years for me, spent time trying to have faith that didn't ever get real, that didn't ever touch the real stuff of life? It has to be real, or else what's the point? I don't think, I don't see a point, honestly, if it doesn't get real. I don't think pastors are supposed to say that. <laughs> but I really, I'm just saying that to encourage you to the real thing. 
And for a person who's growing, I think what, he, what Paul is saying here at the end of Philippians, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. You come to understand something that God has made really clear to you. Live up to it. That's not like a measure up, like you better do it or, or you'd be right. But if, it's, if you believe it to be true, then things that I believe that are true, I will live according to them. Right? That's just what truth does. Truth frames my understanding of, of how the world is, and it, it forms the basis on which I can act and behave because I assume there's a reliable structure to the world. And that tomorrow I can act as if that reliable structure is going to continue to be true. That's what truth does. We should live up to the truth that we've attained. So you might not be like a super Christian. Great. Not here. No one's here. Paul says, I haven't even attained to this, but I'm going to keep going and I'm going to be living by the truth that I have. And so if you have just a little bit of truth, you think, yeah, I, I think this Jesus person, he, he's at least somewhat trustworthy. Great. There's some truth you've attained. Lean into that a little bit more. Take your next step. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Like maybe you like have no doubts in your mind, but there's just this thing and it's like, ah, I wish it were just more legit. Well, put some more on the line, honestly, because a lot of us are playing it really safe and I am first among them, <laughs> first among them. Whatever truth we've attained, we ought to live by it. That's, I really think, uh, just culturally and in the world in general, we just love to not believe that. Most of, most of modern life is about getting the good stuff without the hard stuff, right? That's it. We just want to hack our way through life, but you can't hack your way through the spiritual life. You, you know something about Jesus, then you need to live into it if you want to go on to the next thing. I just don't think there's a way around that. And as we go here into this passage, and we're going to go into Acts now, we're actually seeing Paul living this out. We're seeing a living example, a narrative example of how he lived his life according to the truth that he had known to be true. Paul lived a life of real faith, but that wasn't because of some, the kind of person he was. I really think we just have to get rid of Paul's temperament. You might think, oh, well, he's just like this hard-driving guy. It's not about that. I actually think Paul was probably a pretty insecure person, just to be honest. Like, I think if, if you talk to him, he wouldn't appear the way he is. Actually, he says that in one of his letters. I can't remember where he says it. I think it's in 1 Corinthians. He talks about how he, when he's in, in person, he's very, like, meek and quiet. He says, but his letters are so strong, right? Like, in, in person, Paul was just kind of a, a, a more, more quiet sort of person. But he was trying to live into the truth that he had. It wasn't about his temperament. It wasn't what he knew. He lived a real faith because he enacted the gospel. And anybody can do that. You can do that. You don't have to be like Paul's temperament. But you can take up his practices and, and grow into your faith. So let's see how that played out in, in Acts. Okay, so jumping in Acts 16, verse 6. Uh, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, which is where they were planning on going. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision he immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, 
we, we see here one of the huge ways in which Paul lived and enacted his faith. Paul's life was, was spirit-led, right? He was led by the Spirit. I mean, literally, this is an example of him and, and his companions being led by the Spirit. Uh, Christians love that little phrase. We love it. We love saying, oh, spirit it's really spirit-led. Not sure if we always know what it means. Truth be honest, truth be told. I'm not sure if I always know what it means, but it's a very handy little phrase, and we can justify all sorts of things with it. No, I'm done. That's, that was cynical. That was cynical. I apologize. I'm from New England. Um, those are cynical people. Chris, <laughs> I, okay, so we, say, we talk about being spirit-led all the time, um, but this is a great, really lived example of what being spirit-led actually looks like. Literally, Paul has a plan which is not the plan he ends up going to. He, he, he has a plan to go into Asia. But as he's going, he's also listening to God. Listening. Listening to God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to listen to God? Well, we'll get there. I mean, at the very least, he's, he's of a mindset where he's praying, right? He, he's doing that a lot. He's trying to discern with whatever capacity he has, right? And this is where the spiritual life is like complicated. It's like, well, how do, how do I do that? He's trying to discern and hear from God. And it's not just him, right? Everyone around him is trying to do the same thing, right? Because they're traveling together. He's having some dreams from the Lord. He has a dream from the Lord, right? And he concludes, because of this dream, that God must be bringing him somewhere. He says, it concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to the Macedonians. And because of that, he changes his plans. Uh, but I think we have to have, understand something. That Paul didn't just flip a spirit-led switch, right? Like, that's not something that people do. Paul grew into becoming spirit-led through the, the long and faithful process of just trusting the Lord and enacting the gospel and living according to the truth that he had attained. Paul developed an attitude about his life over time that led him to become a sort of person who could listen to God who could develop the, the ability to do that. Let's reverse engineer this for a second, okay? Uh, Paul, to be led this way, I mean, it would require certain attitudes and mindsets that I think we can kind of deduce from the text. Deductive reasoning, fun. It's fun like a high school class. Um, so first of all, I mean, we know this to be true, if, if he were to act this way, then he would have to probably first be convinced that God is the kind of God who could or would lead him. Because there's no logical reason why he would have this dream and think, this dream must mean that I need to go over here and change all of my plans. So first of all, he, he had this truth, this, this kind of frame of mind about, about what he thought to, was, was true. He was convinced that God would lead him. Second thing that must also be true, he was convinced that he had the ability to hear from God and understand and actually make sense of God's messaging, right? So there's a two-sided thing. It's one, there's a signal being sent by God. God is speaking, revealing, leading in some way. And, and what also has to be true is Paul believed that he, by the power of the Spirit, had some ability to understand and make sense of God's leading. These things have to be true or else none of this can make any sense. And then number three, I think what we see from, from Paul's life and what he says about it himself is that he was not satisfied to live any other way except by being the sort of person who was listening to God, being led by God. 
and who believed that God would speak to him. Because, frankly, I I don't have a problem with one and two, I believe that God reveals himself. I think probably a lot of you guys do too. I, I, I believe that I have had moments in time where the Lord has really led me in my life. I believe I'm, 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 I'm capable, but I don't always really. I don't always really just say, no, this is, the, this is how I'm going to live. I oftentimes go back on to being a sort of person, well, I'm just going to be in charge of my own life. Thank you very much, Holy Spirit. I'm not sure, anyone else? Is it just me? Paul believed that God was revealing, speaking, leading, and he knew that he had the ability to, and he just said, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to tie my own hands. I'm going to subject myself to the authority of God in such a way that I will not be satisfied living any other way except by the leading of your spirit, Lord. Because he so longed to have this fellowship with God. He so longed to have the knowledge go down into an experience in life. I think, I think life with God is like ping pong, and this is a sports analogy I can get behind. I, I say that, but actually I'm really bad at ping pong. <laughs> it's just, I, I'm just not good at any of them. I'm sorry, it's just not, not my thing. But you know what, like the thing about ping pong, okay, so say you're, say you're playing ping pong. It would be really terrible to play ping pong with somebody who didn't expect that after I go like this, bling, and they go like this, bling, if they stopped expecting me to go like this, bling. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would be really boring. You'd be like, be like, like get the ball. I'm, oh, I'm going to hit it back to you. And they're just like, oh, I'm sorry, you were, you were going to hit it back to me? It's like, yeah, this is ping pong. That's all this is. There's nothing more than me hitting it and you hitting it and me hitting it and you hitting it, right? That's all that this game is. And listening, listening to Jesus, being spirit-led, is honestly just saying, this is the game we're playing. This is what we're doing. God is revealing himself. We're listening. And then you know what? Just repeat. God is revealing himself. Just over and over and over again. Ping pong is kind of boring. Life is much more exciting. <laughs> um, right? But this is it. Like, like, I mean, if I stop like, thinking the ball is going to come back to me, if I say, oh, I'm just going to go play baseball now, that's not a fun game of ping pong. It's a trivial, a trivial illustration. I apologize. I hope that didn't undercut what the seriousness of what I'm saying. Um, but like really and truly, like it's all about the mindset. It's like, what do I believe that life is going to be like? Being spirit-led is understanding that I'm just like playing with God. I'm interacting with him. Like I'm seeking his will. He's, he's revealing himself in various ways, like in, in ways that I'm not 100% confident about. Like I wouldn't have a dream tomorrow that says where, where God's just like shows me this guy and be like, come down to California and help us. I wouldn't move to California tomorrow, honestly. Because I'm not in the mindset where I'm thinking, I don't, I, you know, that's, that's my, my own spiritual immaturity, right? Um, and California. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, like, yeah, but, but when you're in this spirit-led mindset, like, you're, you're expecting that God's going to be, there's going to be interaction going on. Like, there's, there's a mindset thing that's going on. And if we're going to live a real life, like, live into and according to the truth that we've uh, attained, then I think we have to have that expectation. We have to live in that place. We have to keep playing ping pong. We have to go back and forth with God, believe that he has equipped us with everything that we need to actually listen to him. I really think that's true. Okay, so let's keep going, uh, looking on more of what uh, Paul is doing here in Acts um, 
From Troas, uh, we put out to the sea and sailed for Samothrace, which is in Macedonia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Tyathira, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying, and after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay in my house, and she persuaded us. What we see here is the very beginnings of the church in Philippi, the one that would later receive this letter from Paul that we already looked at. And it's a very simple, unauspicious start to the church. Paul comes to Philippi, a big city in Macedonia. That was what Paul would do. He would come into a new region. He'd find the biggest place and just start there and work his way out to outer regions. He kind of had a habit. He also had a habit when he arrived in a city of finding the synagogue in that place and teaching the gospel there amongst the Jews, amongst the, those who would have a context for the gospel, and then after that, going out among the Gentiles. But he doesn't do that here, probably because there was not a synagogue in Philippi. It wasn't a very Jewish city. It wasn't very uh, populated by Jews. But there were some Jews there, which is why on the Sabbath day, he goes outside the city gates by the river to where he says where we expected to find a place of prayer. Because what would happen in cities without synagogues is the Jews that were there would gather in certain places, evidently outside the city gates, I don't know, and they would pray there. They would just have kind of like an informal gathering. But there weren't enough to really justify having a synagogue. You needed 10 men to have a synagogue. And here we have a bunch of ladies. No comment. Um, Okay, so so he gets there, and he sees all these ladies sitting around there probably praying. They were probably just Jewish believers. And he sits down, he starts to talk to them, and immediately as he explains the gospel, he explains who Jesus was, how he's the fulfillment of all these prophecies. He's the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. She believes She just believes and then almost immediately says, and I think you should come in and live in my house and like start to do your ministry from that place, which is, wow, what a thing. Um, Lydia's house becomes like a missionary outpost in Europe for Paul, and we're going to see that as we go along in the book of Acts, and a place where the Philippian church would begin to grow. Uh, And we see here another example, right, of Paul's lived faith. He had this expectation that God was going to build his kingdom, and he had this expectation that God was going to build his kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel and through the response of people, people just like Lydia. Paul knew that this movement of God was people-powered, He just knew this is what God was doing. It was what God was revealing. God was having uh, the gospel go out from Jerusalem to the whole world, and it was going to be like a balm to the nations. It was going to heal them and bring about peace. And so he's going out bringing this gospel outside of the realms of where normally it was thought acceptable, like in Jerusalem, right? So he's bringing this very Jewish Jesus outside and telling people about it. And he's understanding that what God is going to do to build this church is he's going to power it with people. I don't think we like to think about the church being people-powered, but I think it really is. That's just the way God has designed it. Um, we don't like to think of it because it's like we, we think, oh, well, if we, if we focus on the people, like, then we're not focusing on the Spirit, right? And that's, 
That's fair. I mean, it's all something that God is doing. Uh, but the hall understood that God was going to use people of faith and their radical response to what they understand to be true about Jesus to bring the gospel forward. It's the missional strategy that Paul understood and enacted. And just to be honest, like nothing has changed since then. The church is still like this organization gathered to proclaim the gospel and move forward, and it is driven forward by people, faithful people who just say, hey, I believe this is true. Like I'm going to live out the truth of this. And I, I think that a lot of us would probably prefer that the church be powered by some other means, right? Because, of course, for the church to be people-powered, that means that, well, for God to move forward, for the mission to move forward, then something is going to be asked of us, right? And that's sometimes uncomfortable. Um, and look, I just want to be super clear about what I'm not talking about. This is not a giving talk right now, Okay. So I'm not saying people powered, so get out your wallets, people. Not saying that. And this isn't to guilt you about summer vacation, though, frankly, I'm surprised so many people are here this morning. I'm really, really glad. I, I understand it's beautiful. No guilt. I'm going on vacation, too. Why, we're all human beings. We've been waiting for this for a long time. <laughs> so enjoy it. I'm not saying anything like that. Actually, what, what, I, what, what I think is true is there's something way bigger than those things. Like, we sometimes reduce, like, the function of people in a church to giving and attendance and door-holding. All those things are good, commendable. But the Lord has something so much bigger for the church. The, the Lord has for, for people to come together to be, have their lives totally turned upside down and transformed by the truth revealed in Scripture. And, and for people's lives to be just like a living testimony of what God does when people believe that he exists and that he loves and he forgives and he restores and transforms people. The gospel is always people-powered. Lydia's life, yeah, like it was going to be flipped upside down and her home was going to become uh, an outpost for the gospel to go forward all throughout Philippi and all throughout the rest of Europe. Like it was, God was doing something in the lives of people and the mission of the church is always advancing uh, through the power of the gospel in the lives of people. You are a living testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ if you're in Christ. If you've trusted in him, you are a testimony to the people around you of what God does when he gets a hold of someone's heart. Lydia was that, but, and Paul certainly knew that this was going to be what would happen because faith gets real. It's got to get real or else what is it for? Um, I think... A lot of times in the United States, we've tried to make church something that it's not something less than it truly is. We've tried to replace God's design for the church, which is just people captivated by the, the, the awesome message of salvation and filled with the Holy Spirit. And instead, we tried to make it like powered by some other means. So we, we hire a, a nerdy pastor, <laughs> not me. Um, and some staff, and they're the power of the church for us. And look, I mean, I, this is my job. I am the pastor. I'm not, I'm not trashing that. I obviously have no, no qualms with that. Um, but, but that's not fully the vision of what God has for what the church is. Uh, or we set up like church as, and I think 
most churches in America uh, do this, and I think it's, it's not quite right. We set up church as a Sunday morning event, 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes, and we say, that's it. That's what the church is. But the church is way more than that, and it has to be powered by more than that. Um, We set up the church as a Sunday morning event instead of really what it is, a living and breathing and daily community, a fellowship of believers who are building each other up, encouraging each other in the faith, like encouraging each other to seek the Lord and to to go further into all that he has. We expect our growth to come by listening to someone like me standing on a stage and explaining to us some piece of knowledge. But the truth is that unless you do that, plus live it out we are just like doing less than we're, we're called to be. Like this has to go from, from a knowledge thing to a lived thing because the church is called to be a living, breathing thing. See, see Paul sees Lydia, a 10-minute-old Christian, and he sees like her, her like desire to grow and, and enact and live out this, this truth that she suddenly laid hold of. And Paul says, yes, that's what it's about. This is a people-powered movement. This is people understanding that God is doing something crazy and so much bigger than we would think it is. God is working among people and he's bringing the gospel forward. And Paul was all about that. He was all about encouraging that kind of living faith. Just keep going here in Acts. Uh, Once we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl uh, met us who had a spirit uh, by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. (laughs) Uh, Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and it came out right away. One of my favorite Bible verses. Paul was greatly annoyed. I like that. So Paul's going through. He, he's spending time in Philippi. He's, he's finding anyone who will listen to him talk about Jesus. And as he's going uh, through Philippi, this, this slave girl who had a spirit, some kind of external, uh, spiritual power something foreign to her. She's following them around. like She's, she's known in the area for being a fortune teller, and that's how her owners make money from her. Um, and he's following Paul around, and he's proclaiming this thing about them. Till finally, Paul gets so annoyed, <laughs> after evidently several days of this happening, that he turns around and he commands this spirit to leave her. I wasn't... I, I wasn't going to talk at all about um, spiritual, like, like, is this demonic? Is this something else? Like, I, you know, and it's like a whole another message, and so I don't really have tons of notes about this. But here's the thing. It's about 20 minutes before church started today. Two really large men, six-footers, heavy guys, came in, one of them proclaiming to be God, and one of them proclaiming to be Jesus. So my morning was interesting. How was yours? right? And, you know, like, okay, like, I want to be super sensitive because this is, this is complicated, uh, and, and Christians are sometimes a little ham-handed about the way we talk about spiritual things because there is such a thing as mental illness. 100% there is. And could these guys have had some, some mental issues going on? 100%. 
but there's also spiritual things in the world. The Bible like, like just kind of lays out that this world is not just like a very safe, predictable sort of place, but actually the world that where Paul was going in and preaching the gospel was, was a very interesting place, full of spiritual power, and there was a spiritual conflict going on, right? And, I mean, the aggression, let's say, in which these gentlemen met when I started to make clear that uh, that wasn't what was going to happen this morning, we weren't going to bow down before them, <laughs> uh, was, was interesting, interesting to say the least. And I, I guess I, I really didn't want to give that talk, right? But it's like it happened, and a lot of you guys saw it. So um, I, I you know, just want to like kind of put some context around here. The fact is that there is spiritual stuff going on all around us. It's it's real. And like some people are are truly deluded by false spiritual stuff. And we have the calling in the middle of that to just proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I was doing on the the porch, just talking to this guy who claimed to be God about, nope, you aren't God. I know who God is. The son is Jesus. And no, that isn't Jesus sitting here. It's this other guy. And he got angry and departed. Um, That's super weird, right? Super weird story. But you, you, you'll find as you, as you go along, Jesus, like, like, like in the Bible, like, like weird stuff starts to happen in your life. If, you, if you're really starting to believe uh, that what God says is true and that there's a spiritual battle going on here and like, man, you're called to be representatives of light and you're called to be the people who are, who are just going out proclaiming, proclaiming the truth, like weird stuff does start to happen. And I, I spent a lot of time um, in Central America uh, after college. Molly and I spent two years there and weird stuff happens outside of the United States. Like, weird stuff happens all the time. We've just developed kind of a, a worldview in the United States where we just kind of ignore those things. Um, so that's my talk on a very deep issue without any notes, and I apologize, but I thought I needed to get into that because, yeah. Okay. He goes along. Paul, Paul goes along here. He... he, he sees this, this girl, she's, she's crying out, these, what does she say? She says, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. And it's actually interesting because, because you would think that, you think one of two things about this. First, you would think that, uh, that Paul, when, like on, the, on day one, when he sees this girl, would have like cast out this spirit then. But he doesn't. It's like several days, this girl falling around like, with, with, with this fortune-telling spirit, he, like, like saying these things, and he doesn't do anything about it. I, th- I think that's interesting. Uh, because the Bible doesn't really uh, like this, this kind of thing, false spirituality. But Paul doesn't do that. And the second thing that's interesting is, is you might expect that, that he wouldn't be bothered by this. Like, because actually the girl isn't mocking them or, or saying anything particularly aggressive, right? She's actually saying something that Seems true, right? He says, oh, these men are proclaiming you a way of salvation. They're servants of the Most High God. So what on earth is happening here? Well, Paul is, is living out his faith. He's living out his faith that God has, has uh, sent uh, his, uh, his church to be people who proclaim the truth to anyone who would hear and to explain the truth. Explain the truth about what, what Jesus says to be true. And this girl was actually 
through what she was doing, jeopardizing that mission, that calling, because Paul had a message to proclaim, but this girl was actually confusing that message. Um, J. Gresham Machen, like one of these guys who really, uh, really valued orthodoxy back in the day, he says, false ideas are the greatest obstacles to the reception of the gospel. Paul needs to deal with his spirit in this girl because uh, while she's saying something that maybe sounds a little bit true and sounds like it could be consistent with Paul's message, uh, it's actually confusing things. Uh, The commentator named Ben Witherington explains it this way. He says, in Philippi, the term highest God must have been misleading. In in view of the pagan usage of hephistos, which is just highest, uh, the term would not have suggested the referent was the Jewish God, unless that person was a Jew or a Judaizer, somebody who believed according to the Jewish traditions. Uh, There were many highest gods, and a pagan hearer would understand the referent of the term to be that deity he or she considered to be supreme. Hearers would not think of Yahweh, thus the primary effect of the term on pagans must have been to mislead them. So Paul's living out his faith, and he's going and proclaiming this gospel, and he thinks that's what his whole life purpose is, to make clear what Jesus said was true about himself. He's living out his faith, traveling the world, proclaiming this gospel, making sure that he was clear, because Paul knew that God was building his kingdom through the gospel. He knew that when this gospel is heard and received, it changes people. And so defending the truth of the gospel was essential for him. And that was so necessary, because when it comes to beliefs about God, there are so many out there. There are so many things that people just assume to be true about God. And it would be easy for people in a hyper-religious, kind of pagan, pluralistic culture like Philippi was to filter the message that Paul was giving through their own lens of experience, right? Because it was a very religious place. There were temples all over the place in Philippi. People worshipped gods, most high gods. They just chose which one they thought was most high, right? And so they would have taken this message and these words that this, this, uh, this, this girl is saying, and they would have just filtered it into something that diluted the truth of the gospel and kept them from actually understanding what Paul was really trying to say. But Paul knew for sure these people had no idea about Jesus. They had no idea about who God really was. They knew their pagan gods, but they didn't know the one true God. And frankly, I don't think much has changed in the world. People still have a lot of ideas about what God is like and who Jesus is. And frankly, most of them are just like, have no basis in this or have a very shallow basis in a very light, critical reading of this. But Jesus called Paul to be someone who would go and proclaim the gospel, and he calls the church to do the same, to be clear about what we're talking about. But we live in a context where there's so many bad ideas. Um, Worship team can come up here, but we're going to start to wrap this up. Frederick Buechner says this, and I, I think it's true. It remains true in our context. Whether we're rich or poor, male or female, our stories are all stories of searching, We search for a good self to be and for good works to do. We search to become human in a world that tempts us always to be less than human or looks to us to be more than human. We search to love and be loved. And in a world where it is often hard to believe in much of anything, we search to believe in something holy 
and beautiful and life-transcending that will give meaning and purpose to the lives we live. What Frederick Buechner here is just describing is just life as we live it. Um, even in a fairly secular place, like the suburbs of Seattle, people are looking for meaning. They're trying to live meaningful lives. They're latching on to whatever they can to make, to make sense of what it is to be a person. They're searching for stories, how to be a good person, how to do good things in life, how to be a whole person, how to figure out what it is like, like because everybody, not everybody, but most people seem to have a sense that there's something more than the material in, the, in this world, right? Most people have that sense that there's something transcendent and beautiful and good in, in, in the world, and we're all searching for something, and so people are searching this way just like they were doing in Philippi. There were people searching, and there were lots of options to give meaning to their life, so you, you uh, worship this God over here, and somehow it'll satisfy your transcendent box. It'll, it'll, it'll check off the holy stuff that you'd be doing, right? And, and so they have this idea that, well, they could just worship all the gods and the gods would be satisfied and then they could go on their life and just continue living and it wouldn't matter. Like, you know, you, you cover your bases here and then you can go and live your life in the world and, you know, do whatever you want. Paul Gould says this, I, I think it's really true, and I think it's so true of the life that we live in right now. The world uh, has been split into two realities, the mundane and the transcendent. And we no longer know how, to sep how these separate worlds fit together. Our innate longings for meaning compel us towards a transcendent, while our longing for pleasure draws us towards the mundane. But many of us languish in the valley between the transcendent and the mundane, too distracted or lethargic to commit one way or another. As we saw with the good Dr. Jekyll and his baser self, Mr. Hyde, we are fragmented people. In the Christian story, though, there is unity between the two, offering the possibility of wholeness. What Paul wanted to be sure that these people understood is that he's not just talking about yet another God and yet another transcendent experience. Like if you just you know, give a little offering here, you'll be good with this Jesus God. That's not the kind of God that he is. What he wanted to be sure that they understood that this is like a God, not like the Greek gods, not like the gods that they were worshiping in Philippi. This is a God who so loved the world that he came, took on flesh, died for the sake of people, lived and went through all the things that they experience so that they might know fellowship with him. Like to live life, even sometimes as a Christian, is, is to feel somewhat divided. You know, we have, feel like we, we like want to grasp onto the things of the Lord, but then our lives and the temptations we face and our failings, like we feel like those separate us and there's this ongoing conflict, like we want to be better and do good and be more and be whole, and yet we're always being tempted and we're always discouraged and feeling guilty and separate, but the gospel of Jesus Christ ties us back together. It brings us to wholeness. Because Jesus looks at us and all of our failings and all the things that we always mess up on and he just says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven from the beginning because of what I've done. And you're loved, not because you're so great or because you're gonna perform really well tomorrow or become like this great performing person. No, you're loved because I so loved you. I loved you in this manner that I came and I died so that you might know God. 
And so we end right where we began in Philippians. Um, let's put that last slide up there. My goal and the goal of the Christian life, right, is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that somehow we'll reach to the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ. Jesus is reaching out to people. He's offering forgiveness, salvation, renewal, completion, love, acceptance. And that acceptance is flowing like a river. It is gracious. God is kind. He's not angry. He's not even asking you for anything. He's simply asking for you to live up to whatever truth you've attained. He's revealing truth to the whole world that he's already done the work to bring you back in and make you a whole person. to restore what's been lost and what we feel to be lost, to, to bring us back in to have a relationship with the God who created us so that we could be all that we were created to be, all that we're called to be, filled with his spirit, being transformed from the inside out into someone who loves the things he loves. The gospel is so much better. It's not about guilt. It's about tying you together. It's not about you becoming a person who just like, oh, I'm like just going to act like I don't have any problems. It's saying, yeah, Lord, I have some problems. I have some issues, and yet you still love me. You don't just love me when I'm good. You love me all the time because you've forgiven, you've taken away the sin and the shame, and you call me to new life in you. The gospel, the true gospel, it's not something anyone would ever make up, and it certainly wasn't like anything that the Philippians had ever heard about before, and Paul said, you have to get this. I need you to understand Jesus is everything. He's all in all. His message is not what we are accustomed to thinking what God is like. This God is so much different. Jesus is so much different. And we can live knowing who he is and live after that truth. So, Lord, I just thank you for this, this gathering, Lord. You know, what it, you're, you're going to do some great things here at I-90. I, 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 we just wait for them, Lord. Waiting with our ping pong rackets, Lord. We're just paddles, paddles, rackets. I play with a racket. And we're just waiting, Lord. Lord, we just want to uh, receive from you, you know, whatever you've got. Whatever's going to come our way, Lord, we want to listen to you, Lord. Lord, we want to lay it on the line. We want to live life according to the truth that you revealed, Lord. Lord, just if we need more, like, knowledge, more understanding, Lord, would you supply it, Lord? But if we just need to respond, Lord, would you give us the boldness to do that? To, to like just volley it right back to you, Lord, to just, to just keep playing this game of, this great game of life of knowing you, of being a whole person, Lord. Thank you for what you say is true. Amen.